The Holy Gospel comes to us today from the book of Matthew. Glory to you, Lord. Continuing on in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said to the disciples, For it is as if a man, going on a journey, summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came. He came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping what you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him. Give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of the Lord. It's really difficult to say that, amen? You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It is difficult to say glory to God. It is difficult to say thanks be to God when we hear texts like this because, again, in the context of Matthew 25, this is Jesus before his final nights on earth, and he's having this conversation with his disciples. He's giving them the parables of the end of times, what is to expect. This is the Lord's last will and testament. And what we hear is a lot of choosing. Choosing of who's in, choosing of who's out, choosing of who's going to make the cut, and choose uh, the choosing of those who might be thrown out into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that is uncomfortable. So let's figure out what Jesus is saying here. When we hear, uh, when we hear this titled, The Parable of the Talents, Sometimes in the old days of Sunday school and vacation Bible school, we might chalk it up to and reduce it to the talents. You know, God has given you the ability to uh, be a masterful choir director, right? 
It might give us the ability to be a phenomenal basketball player. That's not the talents we're talking about at all. Talents is a measurement of weight. Uh, in the literal sense, it's a measurement of economic financial weight. If you were bored and you wanted to Google what is a talent worth, it's something like $2.1 million. So the master, the landowner, the business owner, he's preparing himself for a trip. And what he chooses to do is he chooses to give. I want to pause there for a second. I want us to understand that what the master, also known as God, is doing, God is a giver. He's not a demander. Notice in this parable, never once does he demand anything of his employees, of his servants. When we go back to it, he is preparing to go on a trip, and he knows, he knows who his best employees are. He knows that they understand uh, his hopes and expectations of building the kingdom, building upon what is already in, in, the, in the works. And what does he do? He hands to one of them five talents. He hands another two talents. And he hands another one. He doesn't command, he doesn't demand. He gives it to them. They know what they are to do, in theory. And then he leaves. And the first, what does he do? He takes those five talents. He instantly goes right to work, doing exactly what he knows he's supposed to do. Gets to work, doing exactly what he knows the master would love for him to do. And he starts exchanging. He starts doing what he does best. He starts doing, using his gifts, using his abilities in the way that God has, uh, has placed in his heart and mind to do. And what does he do? He doubles the talents to ten. Same thing with the one with two talents. He's given two talents. Now, I know in the world of, of equality, we are wanting, we're wanting to know, well, why, didn't, why wasn't he given five talents? It wasn't his to debate. The master gave him two, so he gave him two. And what does he do? He takes those two, and just like the guy with five, instantly, he doubles it. Any business owners in the room, don't need to show hands, but any business owner, any manager, anyone in the administrative role, when you have a, an employee that just knocks it out of the park time and time again, and you get back tenfold, you get back fourfold, you are excited, right? But there's the one. There's the third employee with the one talent. He starts to make a lot of assumptions. He makes a lot of assumptions based on fear. I'd love to figure out his narrative in life. I'd love to figure out his relationship with the master as to why he jumps to the conclusion he does, but guess what? Jesus doesn't give us that in the parable, does he? But what we do know is that he is a reactionary character in the parable. He's reactionary, and he is worried. He is afraid, and what he chooses to do is he chooses to dig a hole, literally put it in the hole, waiting for the master to come back. Think about that. He is waiting for the master's return, and he's waiting in fear. And when the master returns, he digs it up, and there, too, he appears before the master, and he says, he says these bold words. He says, Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here it is. It's what belongs to you. Have it. And his master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I had not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Question mark. 
bold. It's a bold accusation and an even bolder response. You say, I, I think for a lot of us, we too operate, operate and prioritize our entire lives out of possibilities of fear. I think a lot of us would hunker down and bury what we have in the ground, terrified that it might be stripped away or taken away or lost in one way, shape, or form. Amen? Amen? We have these moments in our lives, we have these chapters in our lives that remind us of the things that we have and just how precious they are to us and how devastating it is when something, the things that we have, our stuff, gets messed up. I had an encounter like that just uh, in the last month. In the last month, I was heading up, uh, heading up north, up by Pollock and Selby area for a Northern Plains monthly conference meeting. And three months, uh, three months, three miles north of Oneida, it hit me. Literally, the deer. It hit me. Now, I've had people ask me, so you hit the deer? No, I did not hit the deer. The deer was not in the road. I did not see anything on the road. I'm driving, and at about 69 miles an hour, thwack, I feel the side, something hit me on the side. The truck literally shifts to the side. I look in my side view mirror, and there it cartwheels all the way down along the side. Can any of you resonate with me? And then I screech on the brakes, I pull over on the shoulder, I get out, and I start looking at the side of the truck. I'm, I'm amazed that nothing in the front is wrecked. I'm grateful for that. I'm going down the side, I'm like, there's $1,000, there's $1,500, that's $2,500, that's, oh, the bumper's got a hole in it, we're, we're in trouble. Amen? And ironically, I look behind me, 50 yards behind me, and there's the deer standing in the ditch, literally shakes its head and bounces back into the corn. It was like a proverbial gesture. Of sorts. So I get up to I, I get up to Norway Lutheran Church, where we had uh, where my dear friend colleague Pastor Jamie Odie is is hosting us, and and we sit down. I was one of the first ones up there, and and uh, we sit down over coffee, and we start talking about it. And I, I shared my my moment, and Jamie looked at me, and she goes, "You love that Toyota." said, I do. It's got a special place in my heart, doesn't it? And she goes, well, you, you certainly think so. I said, yeah. And, and she looked at me and she goes, that's really rubbing you wrong, isn't it? And I said, mm-hmm. She goes, it's kind of a reminder that it's just a thing. My wife said the exact same thing about eight hours later when I was back home. It's just a thing. It's a reminder that it is something that is just a blink of an eye and it wasn't yours to begin with, dear Craig. And that's just it. That's, that's the side of the coin that we need to flip over in this parable. Every single thing we have is whose? God's. Everything. From the clothes on our bodies this morning to the vehicles out on the street in the parking lots, to the gas that goes in it, to the food that we will put on the table for lunch after this, to the donuts. By the way, thank you, Jason and Thelma. You always hit me right in the right spot with a donut in the morning. Boyd, Pam, you guys, you cut shots. You always take care of me with the donuts. Those donuts are gifts given, right? 
And I know we want to pause and we say, well, but pastor, I, I worked really hard. I, I invested a lot of time and resources into my education, into the schooling. I mean, I worked hard in the networking with people, and, and that's how I landed a, an opportunity with an interview with a, a great boss in the office. And, and to that I say, yes, dear servant. God has blessed you with phenomenal abilities and resources. And what do we do with it? What do we do with the talents that have been given to us? As uh, one of my professors said on a podcast today, the master has given you house money. Imagine going to Vegas with the house money. You don't even have to put a single one of your dollars on the table. You show up, Caesars, uh, or I've never been there. Never been there. I don't really have a desire to go there. What are some of the other casinos? You don't need to give me the casinos. They give you their money. Imagine, they give you their money. And what do you do with it? God's given you everything you have. What do you do with it? I think oftentimes we, we live with it in a sense of fear. In a sense of fear that God might actually be fair. Now that seems odd. What do you mean, Pastor, by God might be fair? Because this parable actually seems rather unfair. And the truth of the matter is, the master, God, is unfair. Because for some, we hear this gospel, we hear those two, those first two employees, we think that this is like prosperity. Look what they can do, look what they did, and and look how they were rewarded. Actually, they weren't rewarded, were they? God didn't give them the talents as a reward. God gave them the talents because he knew that they would do something phenomenal with it. The reward is that they, in their faithfulness, in their trust of the master, in their trust of the resources that God gave them, they responded with care, with love, with faithfulness. They invested appropriately, doing exactly what they knew the Lord was asking them to do. And what comes of it? Dear, good, and faithful servant, come. Come into the kingdom. Come into the joy of the master. But it's not what they did. It's what he chose to do with them. The third servant, however, what did he do? Well, he did receive a label. And it's one of the most bold labels in all of Scripture. You wicked, lazy servant. Wicked appears only a few times in all of Scripture. And when it does, wicked is synonymous with the word evil. Why would the master call him evil? It's not specifically what he did, it's actually what he didn't do. It was because he was gripped and paralyzed in fear, which he himself admits to the master. He is afraid because instead of taking comfort and hope and trust in what the master has given, what he has done is he's whispering or he's listening to the whispering in his ear. He's listening to the devil whisper, well, what is the master really like? The master really isn't going to take care of you, is it? The master isn't really giving you this with the hopes that you'd do something with it. The master isn't really merciful, is he? The master isn't really going to give you uh, the opportunity to enter into the joy of the kingdom, is he? It goes all the way back to the very opening of Scripture with Adam and Eve as well, in which the serpent, the very first thing the serpent asks, did God really say? 
And this third servant is living his life filled with fear, wondering, did the servant, did my master really mean what he's meant or what he has said time and time again? He lives in response with, of fear. We too are afraid that God actually might be fair because what is it that we deserve? Well, as Paul says to us time and again, and as Jamie read from us in 2 Thessalonians, the wages of sin, in Romans, Paul says, the wages of sin is... The wages of sin is death. So if we are to get, if, if we truly want God to be fair... What should we receive? Nothing but death. But that's not what God gives, is it? That's not what God chooses. That's not what the Master gives. The Master elects us. The Master speaks directly to us. The Master brings you into the house of the Lord on Sundays and puts a word in your ear. The master gives you talents as well. The master gives you resources as well. The master has put breath in your lungs this morning. Amen? The master has blessed us with some sunshine again. Amen? The master has given us so many opportunities and just turn on the TV and just take a glance at it and we'll notice just how much the master has truly and utterly given. And the master gives us with joy. He brings us into the kingdom. And we don't deserve it, but he desires it. He gives us the house money to work with. He enjoys watching us do exactly what he's given us the abilities to do. But we choose fear of losing it all time and time again. Brothers and sisters in Christ, be grateful for the master. Let us be grateful for his unfairness. I'm grateful he's unfair. I'm grateful that he chooses mercy rather than condemnation. I'm grateful that little Owen, who's already digging at the pages of the Bible right there, you know, I'm not just saying it to stoke the sermon. He's literally debating with mom right now in the Bible. He too gets to enter into the joy of the master with the waters of baptism today. And that is the good news that we cling to. So let us come in. Let us take those talents. Let us use those talents. Let us smile and give thanks for the unfairness of our God. Thanks be to God. Amen.